Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Nick Cruz. Nick is a citizen journalist and co-founder of Revolutionary Blackout Network. I welcome Nick Cruz to Savage Minds. I invited you on the show after seeing you speak with Glenn Greenwald about the events of 6 January, the infamous January 6th. Well, what's the word they're going to be called and how will this go down in history? Because that's really the debate of the day. And I invited you on the show because I thought, oh, a kindred spirit. Because as a journalist, I watched the media coverage. And this is the paradox of being a journalist today, an independent journalist, is that you're watching the media as if it's its own Hollywood production. Because it has nothing to do with the work that people like Glenn or you or I do. It's scripted. It's tendentious, and there are very little facts often, sometimes none, to be teased out of. So when I first saw the coverage of the insurrection, in air quotes, I thought the same way that I thought about the coverage about 9-11, when the reporters on the ground were saying how this was a cowardly act, George W. Bush said that as well, and I thought... A lot of things to call it, but cowardly isn't one of those adjectives that I would use. And the same thing with insurrection. I kept thinking, I've lived in countries where I've been through revolutions. This isn't an insurrection. This is simply not an insurrection. And then I got the footage of the guy with the funny hat. And now, some time later, he's been sentenced to, is it four years in prison? And I shake my head thinking the quote unquote left has done the work of the neocon right. It depends on, on what you define the left. And at Revolutionary Blackout Network, and uh, we take it upon ourselves to call out these uh, frauds that uh, cosplay as socialists and, and leftists. And I'm talking about Bernie Sanders, AOC. And if you pay attention to them, January 6th is the scariest thing that ever happened to them. And to your point to the media, uh, I often make the point that the media is state media because they pretend January 6th is the scariest thing ever. Um, But the United States committed countless January 6th in Venezuela. And AOC follows Juan Guaido on Twitter. They all love Juan Guaido. But Juan Guaido and his party in Venezuela, what they try to do makes January 6th look like a joke. Bolsonaro in Brazil used to send military death squads in Venezuela. And they used to execute people who were supportive of the Maduro government. And then the Maduro government charged some people of the Juan Guaido uh, opposition party because they attempted assassination on his life. And the response from the AOC, quote unquote, left, and I cannot emphasize that enough, and the Democrats was, Oh, Nicolas Maduro is a tyrant and a thug because he's weaponizing state power against his opposition, even though they tried to kill him. Now, compare that to the joke of January 6th. January 6th was a joke where they did not even have weapons, okay? And they are putting them in prison for four years. So it's okay for you guys to weaponize the government against some drunk, drunk rednecks, but... People can uh, try to kill Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela, which AOC and Bernie Chan- Sanders cheer for. But I'm supposed to be afraid of some rednecks at January 6th. That doesn't make sense to me. It's always, it always was a joke to me. And I pissed a lot of people on the, once again, quote unquote, can I emphasize enough, progressive left, uh, but they're not really left. They're just liberals. They're just Democratic Party shills. Because anyone who with a rational mind who studied history, 
study geopolitical events, you will see what kind of joke January 6th actually is. It was it's nothing but hilarious political theater, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, absolutely. In the selfies, I was having arguments with dear friends on Facebook. Can't you see this is serious? And I thought, are we watching the same media here? Because what I'm seeing is a bit ROFL. I, I, I would be embarrassed if I were a judge sending these people to prison at, at worst. And I'm talking about the nonviolent participants, of course. I would at worst, the ones who, let's say, broke materials, windows, furniture, I would give them obligatory, some kind of community service. What we were fed does not match the picture. And that's the problem. And yet, like you, I'm very, very careful of not calling these people leftists. I use air quotes all the time, or I call them faux leftists. But what they are, are largely neoliberals. And neoliberalism, people forget, was born from Reaganism and Thatcherism. <laughs> these are not leftists. These are just conservative light. And it's phenomenal how AOC herself ran on this quasi-leftist shtick. But it was neoliberalism from top to bottom. She and her ilk are the ones who are out to censor journalists, as we saw recently with what happened with Matt Taibbi and others. Look at the reaction they had to the Twitter files. It's We're really in a, a struggle right now in the United States to understand the power and value of the First Amendment when you have so-called, quote-unquote, leftists commanding the show. And then the actual leftists, well, we saw what happened to them, what happened in Florida, right? Where you have actual leftists who are now perhaps going to face charges of treason. That's why we are advocating a new uh, revolutionary blackout to completely abandon the Democratic Party and uh, the DSA Democrat left, because people pretend that this strategy where I'm not a Democrat by vote progressive. Yes, you're a Democrat. These, these people are responsible in, uh, for doing PR for a Democrat party. They vote for the war machine uh, as, as well. You have these progressives. Not only do they side with the Democratic party, they allow the Democratic party to shift to the right. So you, people, you see people to this day saying, I'm trying to break this cult a personality thing and this mass psychosis on the progressive left where they said, well, I know Bernie Sanders is a sellout. I know he, he, I know he sold us out to Democrats, but at least he shifted the dialogue left. At least he shifted the country left. And my question that I'm trying to push back on people, and uh, did he really, like, did he really after Bernie Sanders, now the left went from punch a Nazi to fund a Nazi in Ukraine. After Bernie Sanders, they now voted for increased capital police spending. They gave them surveillance powers. You have a new wave of progressives like Maxwell Frost, who sold out the Palestinian people, who voted against lifting Syrian sanctions. So the, ever since Bernie, and I dare someone to argue against this, ever since Bernie Sanders, the progressive movement shifted to the right. He shifted what it means to be a socialist to the right. They did not shift this country to the left. That's, the, that's a giant misconception. Medicare for all was always a thing. There was always, always there was already a movement to increase the minimum wage. There was fucking Occupy Wall Street, for example. The people was already anti-establishment. What Bernie did, what AOC did, they took those people and siphoned them to the Democratic Party and took people who otherwise would be more militant and turned them to loyal Democrats. 
what they have done is unbelievable. It really is. Even what Clinton did to Sanders. That's another story. Democrats are in denial of what's going on within their own party. And it reminds me of the way that people show a kind of pro sports team character. Like I'm with the Boston Bruins, no matter what, but this isn't hockey. And people have lost their own critical abilities to look at the Democratic Party. One of the symptoms of this is that journalists, we have to often revert to right of center media to get certain stories out. And I'm thinking of a project I've been working on for over a decade now, which is about the gender identity movement, which the same neoliberals, faux leftists believe to be the number one human rights issue of the world. Well, we saw what happened to Adolf Reed when he wrote his piece about how identity politics is quite toxic to the left and has nothing to do with leftism. In his infamous piece on Rachel Dolezal, where he says, that's supposed to be bad, but Caitlyn Jenner, good, really great piece. And then he got booted from the DSA, as you recall, during lockdown, when he argued about people saying that African-Americans are more somatically, biologically susceptible to COVID. And he said, these are socioeconomic patterns, not somatic. And again, he was called a racist for that essay, (laughs) you know, and it's like Adolf Reed. (laughs) So the DSA is quite caught up in identity politics as well. Yeah. And there was a coordinated effort by the establishment to install a suitable left as their opposition. Uh, All the labor gains that we got in our country came from communists and socialists. That is not what you see in opposition. That's not what you see as DSA. DSA is a pro-capitalist organization that has a goal of working within uh, a pro-capitalist, pro-imperialist Democratic Party. So one of the tactics that they do to wall down the left is to have them take on... uh, They try to make the left as unappealing as possible. That's AOC. If you look at AOC's approval rating, a lot of people don't know this, I, I have reported on this. AOC approval rating is worse than Kamala Harris. You know that? I did not know that. No. I think Kamala Harris, she floats at around minus 12 to minus 13. AOC, giving give or take, is about, is around minus 15, minus 18. You had, I think, I think Manchin is like minus 20. So like AOC is like right up there. Nancy Pelosi is like minus 21. Her job is to make socialism as unappealing as possible so that's why she's out there uh she's fighting every insignificant culture war in the most cringy way possible she's out there fear-mongering about january 6th uh she supports the ukraine war she fear-mongering over tucker carlson support free uh uh state crackdown on free speech it's non-stop embarrassment and and that is their role and uh they pick they they focus on battles that are not even material that not that wouldn't even increase the material uh uh quality of life for the marginalized communities they claim to be fighting for they rather focus on make sure you call someone the right pronouns instead of that person uh having health care and i think respecting people and i'm and i actually do draw a hard line because i think there are a lot of people on the right that need to learn what respect is and how you how you treat people that live in your own state, your neighbors, right? 
but mm-hmm. I care more mm-hmm. about the material. Like you guys are not supporting the material of people that you don't have the moral high ground over anyone. And do you have a more high ground over someone if you're stepping over a homeless queer person? If you if there's a homeless <laughs> queer person, you're just stepping over them and you don't care about their life condition. Are you really that much better than a conservative? That these are the questions that I ask, right? <laughs> Right, right. Or why we're being politicized to death about queer identity, which is obfuscatory to itself. That definition changes from day to day, including all the umbrella terms. Why is that even on the table for any leftist political entity, individual? Where is material reality in the core of the discussion? And we're not seeing that. We haven't seen that in the Democratic Party for decades. And this is the elephant in the room. No one wants to discuss this, though. So like you said, I mean, the entire posture around the war in Ukraine has been atrocious. As soon as you say NATO's been a problem, oh, so you're for invading Ukraine. Or the moment you point out that the U.S. sponsored a coup there, oh, so that means that the people deserve to die. Well, no. Can we walk and shoot bubblegum at the same time? We need to be able to have an analysis that is rational. No one is saying that Ukrainian people deserve bombs and deserve displacement and homelessness. Uh, No one deserves homelessness, obviously. But there's a larger argument about how Zelensky got into power, how that was carpeted by the Democratic Party. No one's talking about this. People always say, oh, you are against us funding Nazis in Ukraine, so you must control (laughs) Russia. So you must be against the Ukrainian people. And my response is the exact opposite. You are actually against the Ukrainian people. Uh, they would say, well, you, why do you say that we funded Nazis in Ukraine? Are you saying that all Ukrainians are Nazis? That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that you guys chose and picked the side of the fascist Nazi regime in Ukraine that has terrorized politically neutral people and pro-Russian Ukrainians. So Zelensky won on a peace platform, on normalizing relationship with, with Russia. That is where most Ukrainians are. Then there are the Azov Battalion and their political thugs who engaged in political violence against people who protested the regime that was bombing uh, the Donbass, that was engaging in civil war against the pro-Ukrainian forces. Uh, uh, sorry, the, pro, the pro-Russian Ukrainians, I mean. So there are a lot of, there are a larger neutral population in Ukraine that just want normalized relations, but they've been attacked and under assault by the Nazis and the Azov Battalion, who's willing to use violence as a political means. So when you, people say that they care about all Ukrainians, so let's fund the Ukrainian Nazis. No, you only you picked a side. You chose the far right Western Ukrainian regime ran by Zelensky that has been brutalizing people. What we want is the call for peace, a call for normalized relations, respecting the sovereignty of the people in Donbass. That is the that is the pro-peace position. And it's been incredible to me to watch leftists get this wrong. And I gave quite a bit of leniency for I don't know how long your leniency period was. I'm sure everyone has a different amount. I gave them a few months. I gave them a few months because I get it. Like you see a country get invaded. Their immense war propaganda. You might, you, I get the initial feel to want to defend a country, but after a few months, if you haven't bothered researching this, or if you continue to fight people who who has, you lost my benefit of doubt, and you just being an establishment show or willful, youthful idiot, which all wars had, like Vietnam wars, uh, Korean War, war, like all these wars have 
useful civilian idiots. And there's so many people that decide to do that. But our score needs to be on people who have power. Bernie, AOC, and the progressive left that has gone along with this. And they silenced all debate on it because they know they are wrong. I completely agree with you. And let's even step back. Before Ukraine, we had the debacle around the U.S. election, which brings us back to January 6th, because I was pretty upset there wasn't any serious journalism by major media outside of the Capitol. Everything got focused on those hooligans. Let's just call them hooligans. We might as well have been at a football match, actually. But outside were tens of thousands of protesters. They were discarded. They weren't even considered by any legacy media outlet. So I investigated, I interviewed people who had been there. And these were not the white racists we were told they were. These were people who had serious issues, many working class people, by the way, who were not very happy about lockdown, about the economy, and also those who thought that the U.S. election was rigged. Now that we know what the Twitter files have demonstrated in the case of the Hunter Biden laptop story and the repression that went on from legacy media to big tech, all of those places were putting down any account that would share that story. They put down the New York Post account. And now with what the New York Times revealed a few weeks ago, we know that the signatories of that infamous letter were asked to write the letter by the Biden campaign. So now we have, uh, there's no, what is called uh, legally Chinese walls. There are no Chinese walls between the very bodies of US government that are supposed to be upholding the law, like the NSA and so forth. They are not political bodies. They have no business interfering in our elections. Yet that's exactly what they did they interfered in our elections. These bodies were, and you see it, the ex-acting CAA director reveals he had 50 spies sign a letter saying that Hunter Biden's laptop, that whole scandal was a Russian disinformation scheme and that this was to help Joe Biden win the presidential election. He went on record saying this, Mike Morrell, now, those protesters who were ignored by legacy media because all the cameras were on the people with the funny hats taking selfies, being touted as insurrectionists, what a joke, we are not being given the truth, even now, because this story about Mike Morrell was covered by the Daily Mail, but very few other outlets have seriously covered it. And he told the House Judiciary Committee that he was asked by Antony Blinken the Secretary of State, who at the time was a senior member of the Biden campaign, to help discredit the laptop reporting. Uh, if this had happened in any of those so-called, air quotes, banana republics that the U.S. loved to overthrow and still does, we would have called this a coup d'etat, would we have not? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we would use this as an example of how... Um the government censors inf information, how they squash dissent. Uh, NPR uh, refused to cover the Hunter Biden laptop story. And they quoted that they quoted the, the CIA people that Biden helped draft his letter behind. They said, we refuse to publish this uh, story. That's, and that's NPR. Uh, and there are so many giant media outlets that use there's now breaking. Now, now we know that Biden and 
the government were directly involved in playing that story. And they all just ran with it. And they all sounded exactly the same from MSNBC, from CNN, from NPR, to Washington Post, to New York Times. They all said there's there's obvious traces of Russian disinformation without questioning at it without questioning it at all. So what are the chances that they all just repeat the same line? These are the these are the questions I want people to ask themselves. What are the question what are the chances that our media always had the same exact narrative on things like January 6th, like Hunter Biden's laptop, right? You had the two party divide. You have the Washington uh, the WAPO, Washington Post, New York Times, Atlantic, uh MSNBC, CNN, Democrat Party Media. Then you have the split with the right, we have the Fox News. Newsmax, right-wing radio media sphere, they have their line. But they're just, those are the only two lines. You know what I mean? No other line of thought is going to be allowed right. on 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 TV, right? And to speak on that, there was just this panel, I may report this on, on Revolutionary Blackout soon, where Morning Joe, they were talking about uh, press freedoms and wagging their finger at Russia and China and other countries. Meanwhile, uh, the Biden administration helped Israel cover up the murder of Shreen Abdul-Akhla, famous, famous Palestinian reporter. Uh, you got Julian Assange, who is currently being prosecuted by the Biden administration, and Karine Jean-Pierre were asked about it. And she was like, no comment. I'm not, not talking about that. Just blatant, violent hypocrisy that the blue media team goes along with. And then what's more mm-hmm. hilarious that you will see right-wing media go along with it too because there's certain things that they can't touch they have they 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 you would think they would want to call out biden for strain of dual club but they can't because they're zionist it'll make israel look bad because israel and uh the israeli forces for people who don't know they murdered uh shereen abdul akla famous longtime al-ajura reporter who documented the genocide that's going on the Palestinian people. And there was clashes, violent clashes by the Israeli forces against the Palestinians. So she was there with her camera crew, literally with a helmet that said media, a body armor cast that said media, and a, a Israeli sniper shot her in the head. And and the Israelis and the United States government been doing everything they can to block independent investigations to it. The Israelis did a sham investigation to the matter where they said, oh, we found that there was there was a skirmish and she was hit by friendly fire from the Palestinian forces. Absolute nonsense that was debunked by multiple independent reporting, multiple independent investigations that the Biden administration still refused to acknowledge to this day. And this was a legendary Palestinian journalist. Meanwhile, they were going around on tours talking about press freedom. They haven't ridiculous White House correspondent dinner talking about the importance of the freedom of the press as they support regimes that are executing journalists like Shereen Abdul-Akhla as they are murdering Julian Assange and they refuse to speak on that. It's absolutely gross. We've covered a lot about Julian Assange both in the podcast and in many articles by our writers. It's not lost on you, I'm sure, the media blackout on that, especially by the one news agency that gained the most from his work, which was The Guardian. They barely touch upon him for all the business they gave him, if we're going to look at this as return revenue. And this is really shocking that you have so little collaboration by what should have been an en masse letter 
of all the major editors around the world, even the Times of India, down to every newspaper signing off on this, whatever the language. It should have been an international paper saying this is an abuse of the freedom of speech and the freedom of the press. You are holding a journalist hostage because the United States is embarrassed about that one video. Now, the video, I recommend people to watch, and I'm someone... I can't watch murder videos. Uh, it's aerial, but you see very clearly what our government and our tax dollars were invested in doing. So we have basically jailed the messenger, but we're not dealing with the problem. And the problem is that the global war on terror was a form of terrorism for the people of Afghanistan, Iraq, and even Pakistan, where the drone wars were expanded during the Obama administration. And people are still watching their telly, eating their meals, and don't care. But I think it's important that people begin to care because Julian Assange represents all of us. It could be any one of us there, anyone who has ever written a letter and said, this is wrong. Imagine you get the police at your door arresting you. It's the same thing. He was a messenger. He made the message happen, and then he was jailed for it. Why is it? What do you think about this, actually, Nick, that people are so disengaged from the Assange story? And I, I mean this as an honest question, because I don't think it's just that major media isn't covering it. Major media, legacy media feeds on clickbait, right? So they can run like I always make fun of CNN and its super yacht stories because they literally have a super yacht story every week. I mean, that's not even one percent. That's probably point zero zero one percent of the population has a super yacht maybe another few zeros in there actually yet these media outlets are not covering the important news of the day why is it that people are just disimpassioned about the assange story well, the media they're very open uh they view themselves as more like the fourth wing of the government they feel them, they view themselves as protectors of the establishment so they hate Julian assange now a lot of people don't uh, people need to rally behind Julian assange more but they don't because they feel like this is not going to happen to them, which is a very short-sighted way of viewing this because it set a gross precedent on how uh, the press is treated by our government. And it also allows the weaponized hypocrisy uh, by our government to get away. And people, and people need to understand that weaponized hypocrisy, and this is what the United States mastered, is one of the highest forms of corruption. So when they go around and pretend they are the agents of the free press as they are torturing Julian Assange, that's weaponized and aggressive hypocrisy that needs to be called out uh, because that's that's only a sign of the poison and the toxic corruption uh, of our government. And I cannot emphasize enough, just because this happened to Julian Assange, that means they are just setting the precedent so they can happen to anyone. And, it's, and it already had the effect, and it's and it's very tragic to say this, um, but one of the main reasons why they are torturing Julian Assange, because there's some people who actually predicted, uh, I don't know if they're right or not, that Julian Assange may be released. You see a lot more establishment people calling for it. Uh, like the squad finally had uh, the guts to say something about it, even though they don't deserve credit. You don't deserve credit saying this after everyone in the establishment now finally there are a few people that are calling for the release of Julian Assange. Now, the person who said they, that Julian Assange is going to be freed because what they already accomplished has been done. So even if Julian Assange gets freed, 
they tortured this guy for years now. And the reason they did that was to dissuade other journalists from doing what Julian Assange has done. So even if Julian Assange is freed and there's quote-unquote justice, journalists not doing that WikiLeaks shit now. now. How many reporters would have been the next Julian Assange but it was like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> you guys see what I did? To do? That's the point. Yes, that's the point exactly. They're trying to discourage proper reporting. And we're having on the show, in fact, next week. I don't know if you paid attention to the press conference. This was so disgusting. I'm a bit disappointed in what happened, both on the actor's part as well. But you had that press conference about 10 days ago, two weeks ago, where the cast of Ted Lasso came on. Now, in the midst of the White House trying to deflect questions by making it a cutesy moment so everyone can make a fake press conference with the actor, Jason Sudeikis, who plays Ted Lasso, there was a reporter based in D.C., but from West Africa, who asked a serious question. Now, I put this up on my Facebook today because it's quite interesting what was reported by the same media outlet. The same story was given two different renderings. And I'm just going to read you the headlines so you get an idea of what I'm talking about here. One story by the Daily Mail UK entitled Disruptive Reporter Derails White House Briefing with Ted Lasso Cast. So that's the Daily Mail. And the same story covered by another writer, Daily Mail UK, Today News Africa reporter calls White House press room a disgrace. Well, quite ironic that the same paper reporting on what a journalist did last week, his name is Simon Ateba, is reported both as negatively, like he's a rabble rouser. Well, no, he was there doing his job and he interrupted a staged Hollywood moment, a staged Hollywood moment, by the way, that was set up to make journalists do that Shirley Temple poking your cheek with your finger. Ha 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 ha. Like, that's what it was about. It was about neutering journalists from asking questions. I really wanted to meet him. I'm like, this guy's got balls because he went to the White House and you don't see it very much anymore. People invited into the White House are there to rub elbows and say, I've got a badge. But it's really about reporting in the tradition that Helen Thomas, who is now deceased, we miss her, used to do. What happened to journalists asking hard questions? And there have been a lot of criticisms about the Biden White House press room because they're not answering the questions where, ironically, the people who are still caught up in Trump derangement syndrome, it seems to be that Trump was the most generous in his press offerings, both in terms of standing there for longer periods of time, asking questions back, taking questions from journalists. Yes, we were given by MSNBC and CNN when he said, that's fake news, fake news. Well, the paradox of Trump is that he was right about the fake news. He was. He wasn't, and uh, they know it too. Democrats know it too. That's why they use the same message as him. They use the fake news messages. They just dress it up nicer. They they would say stuff like, "What your source? What are you using Fox Fox News? You using is this source? This source? That's fake news." They they would they didn't say fake news. They didn't say that, but they have their own way of saying that. Before Trump, you you know what I mean? Where there was only a a, a select news that was considered legitimate by them. Now, what you are talking about also is the scourge of modern journalism. Uh, that's why I got into independent media myself. Uh, I co-founded Revolutionary Blackout. Uh, but not even just corporate news. It's independent news. 
a lot of men, many independent media uh, fall into the trap of access journalism. Uh, it's disgusting among the partisan independent media, the people who think they they think they're independent, and especially like if you see like on the right, like you see like right podcasts talk talk to like Marjorie Taylor Greene and other politicians. Disgusting. Uh, you have like AOC go on David Sharota. Disgusting. And I made that point because both the left and the right does it. And independent media was made to be better from corporate media. So RBN, we do something different. Like we show people how access journalists, how uh, how we reject access journalists, how it's supposed to be done, where people like Marianne Wilson, who's an elected candidate, she asked to come on our show. We didn't beg her to come on our show. And we asked her real tough, pointed questions with follow-ups. And after I had a follow-up to her question about the two-state solution, she accused me of mansplaining. She did not uh, take it well. Uh, and that what happens when you actually follow up and press these people on their opinion. That was journalists supposed to do. But journalism has been riding so much in this country. Having a journalist ask pointed, hard questions with follow-ups was considered rude. People thought I was being rude to her, even though I could not be nicer, could not be more polite, but I was asking hard questions with the follow-up because people are used to the David Schroeder tactic where David Schroeder have AOC on and David Schroeder actually asked her a hard question to start off with, but it wasn't pointed and there was no follow-up to it. So AOC, after hearing the hard question, she filibustered it. She gave him a bullshit answer. She didn't answer the question. And then David Strozer moved on. That's access journalism. Why aren't you asking the follow-up question? Why aren't you calling her out? Like I would, which is considered rude. That's what journalists are supposed to be. We're supposed to be considered rude by the establishment and their sicker fans. I want to bring rude journalism back. I agree completely because what you're seeing in the Biden White House, and in fact, Glenn covered this, I believe, on Monday on his show where he discusses the fact that someone in... Uh, it was the Wall Street Journal. He had, he had shown a clip of her on the news saying journalists should not be combative or antagonistic. Actually, we should be. Not rude. There's a difference. Being competitive and antagonistic does not mean, yo, motherfucker. You know, no. It's just like, ask the damn question. Yeah, when I say rude, I mean based on... Yeah, based on what they would consider rude, because I don't I don't consider just asking a tough question rude, but when if you expose their nonsense, if you ask them hard questions they can't answer, that that breaks their decorum and they will consider you rude by default. Like, I don't know if you've seen Jose Vega and his friends and allies who've been calling out uh, the pro-war pigs, uh, the progressive, the people in the media. They're they considered rude because they're interrupting the event by calling out these war criminals, which, once again, I don't consider that rude. But we need more of that because these people in charge are among the worst among us. <laughs> well, the pro-war narrative is so fervently held within the Democratic Party. Isn't it odd to see a small group still, it's Republicans who are pushing back against this. Why do you think that is? Um, well, a lot, of, a lot of Republicans, they are just resisting the Biden administration, uh, but they still are very pro-war. Like A lot of them have been calling for uh, military occupation of Mexico. They lost their damn mind. <laughs> Regarding that, um, there's there's quite a few of them uh, that has called for the invasion of Venezuela, including uh, Ron DeSantis. Uh, Donald Trump was actually convinced not to invade Venezuela by his 
pro-war State Department. Uh, but they are they against the insane Ukraine war. Like, like many people, like you hear voices like Tucker Carlson and many people on the right that would call that out uh, because they just think that's bad foreign policy. They're not against militarism as a whole. They just, they see this as, because it is, it's such a giant misstep by the Biden administration. How can you not take advantage of that? Uh, but in general, they're not uh, anti-war at all. Uh, but they have got the, the the Ukraine war right, but they want to spend more resources uh, competing with China and Africa uh, in fighting a cold war against China. And many people like Kevin McCarthy, Chuck Schumer, and I've dropped both the names. I want you guys to know it's not just a Democrat or Republican thing. Uh, they are openly preparing for war with China and Taiwan, very openly for it as a gaslight in their messaging. So um, we, we need to keep our eyes on the on the entire prize. Uh, the Ukraine war must be resisted and must. And I'm glad that like there's some people in the right that will speak for Julian Assange too. I just wish that they got the entire picture right. You know what I mean? And and the people that are almost there, we shouldn't like vilify them. Cause you see, like right, like there are people who are good faith who speak out against the Ukraine war and who may be getting other issues wrong. I feel like we can use the Ukraine conflict, use the Julian Assange issue, some things that they get right, and use them, use that to educate them about the Israel-Palestine conflict and how that's a mirror, like how how we can how we cannot support empire in these situations overall. But um, the Democrats, to your point. Is 100% unapologetically the pro CIA, pro FBI party. Uh, I don't think too highly of the Republican Party either, but that's why I think it's ridiculous the people who believe that there's anything to salvage from the Democratic Party. They are completely, completely gone. Like if they can, if they can switch, uh, flip Cory Bush, that party is they flipping everybody. Like, and I'm speaking as a Missouri activist here. Um, because they one knew who Cori Bush was. Cori Bush was. She was an activist in St. Louis. Uh, she wrote she gained prominence during the Ferguson protests. And there's and even after the Ferguson protests, there's continued political action in St. Louis because Manuel uh Lancy Clay was bought off by the St. Louis Police Department, and Cori Bush eventually ran. Like she was a nurse, really embedded into the community. A lot of people knew her. Uh, and she ran like a serious grassroots campaign, defeated William Lancey Clay, and then immediately sold out. <laughs> like yeah. if they can get her, they're getting anyone. You guys understand? Like if, if they get her, they get everybody. Because I saw her reputation, unless she was faking it the entire time, which is possible. But I'm telling you, her reputation was stellar here among the activists left, among the people on the ground, people who are not even Democrats, who was like, yeah, Cori Bush was with us from day one. Day one, Arizona Ferguson, she was working her nurse job and going out and doing activism at the same time. They got her. You guys realize that means? Like, you have, we can't expect, like, some perfect hero to come and do the impossible change the Democratic Party. Because if Cori Bush not doing it, uh, and I use her as an example because there's a uh, lot of evidence that AOC was always an establishment plant. They lied about her background. Uh, and there are many examples of that among the progressive. But Cori Bush, and I would love to hear information to the contrary, but I, I knew about it beforehand. She was legit, and she got turned immediately. <laughs> so 
That party cannot be saved. They're 100% pro-war. They will turn every single person. You're listening to Savage Minds, and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing. We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. Yeah, well, we're in dire straits about the proxy war because you have the media once again not even covering that fact. I've had people say to me, this isn't a proxy war. Excuse me. This is exactly, this is textbook definition of a proxy war. Americans, not just Americans, but we're speaking about the American readership now of of media. They do not read across media outlets. Again, it's back to the my old sports metaphor. Everything is about our team. So they have our team political party. They have our team media party. People literally watch nothing but MSNBC. I mean, we're in zombie land here. But the good news, Nick, is that media outlets like yours, mine, Glenn, certainly, Megan Kelly's, they're taking off. They are becoming the new frontier in media because people are Joe Rogan outdoes CNN. That speaks volumes as to what's happening. Could you give your thoughts on this? Yeah. Um, when, whenever you hear Parsons, like Parsons pretend their politicians must be than they are, really, because if you watch CNN, MSNBC, they pretend like they are the information. They Like, they get, as you said, they get less views than Rogan. Like, when you look at the people who vote for Democrat and Republican, that's less than 50% of the population. <laughs> like, it's a very small, most people are tuned out because uh, our politics is such a joke. Everyone knows the media is lying to them. And that's why they had to get their news from independent media sources like Rogan, yourself, myself, uh, Jimmy, Glenn, and others. Um, what, at Revolutionary Black, I would love to channel, and we're trying to discuss strategies on how to channel this anti-establishment culture into something that's tangible because like i said they they pretend that they are bigger than what they are but they control the government they control uh what actually is going on but so how we how how can we how can we switch this people power into something that actually make them 100 irrelevant because despite the fact that cnn gets uh less views and uh mostly all the prominent independent media sources uh they're all millionaires they have a ton of power and a ton of resources why is that because they get donations from weapon defense contractors uh, moderna pfizer who also fund politicians they have established entrenched power and they have media that's talking to themselves like the ratings don't really matter so we gotta find a way to transform their current irrelevance to irrelevance in terms of power which unfortunately we haven't really done yet <laughs> Um, a lot of a lot of big shows don't really focus on how we do that, and a lot of it is just entertainment, which is okay. But at RBN, we try to discuss like how do we, how do we take advantage of this current moment in time where fifty percent of registered voters are independent, people who want a third party, but there's like no mobilization to overthrow this massively unpopular uh, government that we are seeing, and it's. And I want to see it, but you're 100% right. Uh, 
no one listens to CNN. Like, I remember Don Lemon was fired. No one like people were barely talking about it because Tucker got fired around the same time. Um, but they don't need to be relevant. They already got they already got the power, and they already they pretty much just do propaganda for anyone foolish to watch. And they and when you we do propaganda report all the time on RBN. Like when you watch the shows, it's clear that they just like performing for each other. <laughs> like you know how it's like a revolving door of corruption. Like they know no one's watching this shit. They know Gen Z, younger millennials like myself, not watching this. Uh, and shout out to Gen X and Boomers who have decolonized their mind who don't watch this shit either. But since they know it's a revolving door of corruption, they perform well, well enough. They may get a lobbying gig. They may be able to run for Congress. Or they in the State Department, they may get a show like Jen Psaki. So they just fucking perform for each other, man. Like that's, To me, that's clearly what they're doing. I was going to jump to Jen Psaki just about now. So let's do it because that is part of what is the problem. We see this where government entities, government spokespersons, and people of importance are not towing any kind of ethical line. And so we can just put her up on her own show. That's a bit of a problem when you have now being the White House spokesperson as somehow this political launch pad to something else, just as you see in Big Pharma, where you can be working for the FTA on Saturday, but by Wednesday, you're heading up Pfizer. That, when you see the impact that, uh, I, and one thing I, I want to be careful because I always care for one talk about this on YouTube. Uh, when you see how much the Pfizer donates to media, and yep. Pfizer uh, through a lot of proxies donated through to human rights organizations who used to oppose mandates, like there was many human rights organizations, like the ACLU being the biggest example, who wrote op-eds and uh did political uh thoughts about how we should oppose mandates because it lead to gross inequality it can lead to uh racial inequality when it comes to healthcare. Uh, and then like Pfizer with their hundreds of billions Moderna Moderna with their hundreds of billions of dollars and like, do people think that's not influence <laughs> like that's an insane amount of influence and they just you they spread that amount to around different organizations, media organizations. And all of a sudden, some human rights organizations, like the ACLU, who was against mandates, all of a sudden flipped their positions. Yeah, and Saki herself, what on earth is going on where we have people from the press corps of the United States government, the White House effectively, going to kick off a career in media when these are sort of conflicts of interest, very severe conflicts of interest, because you have a cozy culture that's happening. It's not just that. If you look at the annual press awards, again, it's it's almost like watching people going to the Met Gala or the Oscars. What is she wearing? What is he wearing? They, they call the the White House Correspondents' Dinner nerd prom. I just learned that like a few weeks ago. <laughs> it wouldn't happen. I, that's a new fact for me that I learned this year. It's like called nerd prom, and it's a giant like event. Like if you if you see all the social media, like they post pictures, like oh my god, I met this person. Like and like to me, it's it's astounding that they put on such events because I would think the ruling class would want to hide their open insider game from the people more but in fact they've turned to a show the met gala is a show that 
where they just wag and show off their corruptions. Jen Psaki will have a show with Simone Sanders. These are two people who worked as propagandists for the Biden administration for a Democratic Party. They haven't shows on MSNBC chatting it up talking about the importance of independent media. It's so ridiculous. Yes, and at the end of the day, we have Julian Assange in prison and they're roasting their own fakery. Shouldn't they be in prison at this point, given what we know about how the New York Times, the Boston Globe, so many papers went along with the lie, with Russian disinformation. I have to sometimes look at my clock and my calendar to make sure that I'm not in the throes of McCarthyism. The left, quote unquote, again, the neoliberals have taken McCarthyism to an extreme that even McCarthy's probably in his grave clapping. It's the same. Bernie, Bernie Russiagated himself, himself and his report and his supporters and uh, many of us, uh, like people like Glenn, uh, I, w- I was an established name during Russia Gate, but it's something that I was very open with bullshit. Uh, Jimmy, many others, uh, Nico House, uh, Convo House, many friends of RBM was calling out Russia Gate because it was clear what Russia Gate was going to lead to. It's gonna, it was going to lead to this new era of McCarthyism. Where if you said that during the time, it was like, oh man, you're being alarmist, you're being a conspiracy theorist. Now here we are. We got on Facebook and on Twitter, it's perfectly legal uh to call for the death of Russians. Like it used to be against the terms of service to do that. But after Russia Gate, Russia uh, have whipping this uh, xenophobic anti-Russian fervor, now you can call for their death. And that's the result of Russia Gate. Progressive left. Uh, supporting Russia Gate, and that was one of the things that led me to stop supporting many progressive parties. That was like one of the things I was like, man, that's that was one of the things I, I should have woke up to them earlier. But them pushing Russia Gate, one of the things like, well, y'all serious? Or y'all, that was one of the things that exposed that they was not serious, right? Um, and that is why they support the Ukraine war. Like, it's not an accident. Like, it was such an important political event because it was a preface to much to come. And many on the left uh, have lost their mind and and we call them NATO leftists uh, because that's what they are. Like I, I, for the, the left for the longest time, like if you listen to the lectures of Michael Prenti, if you listen to Noam Chomsky, if you listen to Glenn Ford, Mark Kimberly, so many left influential thinkers, we have been anti-NATO, very, we've spoken out against their imperialism and Yugoslavia how AFRICOM and many of their allies got involved in Africa, in Africa, uh, what they did in Libya. To see that left tradition be turned into pro-NATO stances unapologetically by many content creators on the left, I'm not even going to mention, is uh, pretty disgusting and sad to see. And I don't pretend these people are, are, are allies. In fact, these people are, are, are just as corrupt as Democrats that need to be called out. <laughs> Right. Well, I used to write for Black Agenda Report, and I did have words with Glenn when it came to a piece where I referenced someone he did not like. And I was a bit astounded because the person he regarded as being a neocon, and he said, I have shitty friends. And I just said, well, look, is our job not to cover the news and to cover various viewpoints? So why are we worrying about what 
partisanship someone may or may not hold when our jobs should be about getting to the news itself. Yeah, and he was talking about Glenn Lowry, by the way. And he said, you have shitty friends. And I was like, he's not my friend. He's a very nice person. I've had him on the show too. But why has the left been so caught up in slandering and defaming people? And I see this everywhere, even around the gender identity debate. In the UK, there's a huge division. And now that division has pretty much petered away because of the way in which these quote unquote leftists, and I'm putting that in quotes, leftists and feminists also in quotes, run around policing which women should be saying what and whom and where. And oh, they had neo-Nazis at their rally. Well, look, if you're having a rally in Victoria Park, then it's very likely that anyone can show up because um, it's called a park. <laughs> this isn't a turnstile at the Superdome. You don't have to have a ticket to go there. These call-outs around women who were organizing, doing really grassroots stuff that harkens back to the 1970s, take a mic, speak your mind. These women, and I'm thinking specifically of Kelly J. Keene, who was being monstered by quote-unquote leftist feminists, again, both in quote marks, because they were neither leftists nor feminists. These are neoliberal hacks who run around trying to tell people that you can't believe someone because they were in a park where people they didn't like were also. This is ridiculous, or what we would call in the 1970s, retarded, because you can't have politics functioning healthily that way. And I did an interview many years ago around 2012 with Harry Belafonte. And one thing I loved about talking with him was his humility about his civil rights work with Dr. King. And he said, we went down to the South. We sat down and broke bread with members of the Klan. That's how you do politics. Yeah. And, and this is weaponized hypocrisy once again, because what I what I don't respect at all and what drives me and what drives you crazy is they are openly hypocritical on this because people like Ro Khanna, they'll be friends with Bill Crystal, who's a fucking fascist. Joe Biden <laughs> is a violent fascist. And Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders are friends who work together all the time. So it's okay for the progressive left, quote unquote, quote unquote, to be friends with violent neocons and Zionists, but we can't organize with our neighbors? That's aggressively stupid and hypocritical. And I have faced pushback and had a violent divorce with many of these dumb, dumb leftists who went to RBN not to uh, speak at the March for Medicare for All. I spoke at the March for Medicare for All. We had five people speak, speak, speak there. Uh, we asked Sabi, she attended the Rage Against the War Machine rally. We promoted that to the chagrin of many people on the left. But I am I am for, I will organize with anyone to do good. I will organize with no one to do bad. And the worst part about these people, not only are they hypocrites because they would 100% vote, uh, work with a racist, insane liberal because apparently liberals are, are okay for whatever reason right they don't want to organize or march with libertarians like at the rage against the war machine rally there were libertarians and there were some right wingers at the medicare for all rally would led them to not want to attend so they okay you don't want to organize with right wingers okay fair enough 
So you also have my brother Rome, who organizes tour for the poor, build libraries. Nowhere to be found. Okay, let's find someone bigger name. Shama Sawant, worker so, work, socialist alternative, a socialist organization that is organizing workers. They are they're organizing Starbucks workers in Seattle. They are building a massive campaign uh, where they are building labor militancy. They don't want to organize with them either because they reached out to many of these progressives and they didn't show up. They didn't prop up their event. I spoke at that event. So the only people these people who want to organize with are Democratic Party liberals. It's a massive PSYOP campaign for you to only accept Democratic Party political events. Any other political event that goes outside the two-party duopoly is ran by deplorables and must not be promoted or supported. And there's many people, and like, for example, the Black, Black Agenda Report and a few others that had opinions against the race, against the war machine rally because of the same criticism that there's a lot of right-wingers and stuff there. I openly push back against that. I, if, if the goal is good, I want to organize with you. And it's through forming these coalitions that, since I believe that my politics is influential, I think everyone believes that, right? Um, I believe that my political point of view is influential. And I think if you're wrong on something, I think it's because you're wrong. If we organize on stuff that we agree with and we are in community with each other and we had a chance to share our values, I personally believe with my giant ego, I guess, that I can pull people to my side. Like, and I have done that. Like, people who uh, may agree with me on healthcare, I pulled them, pull, uh, pull them to my positions on reparations or on the policing or military. You would do that. You you share, you can bring people closer to your values and you build community by first agreeing on, first coming together on stuff you agree with, right? And my brother JB said it best. I know I'm very long-winded here, but my brother JB said it best. Uh, he was talking to Jimmy Dore. Um, could my brother JB Fon is gay, right? And he said he knows there are a lot of people who are homophobic, but if there are people that fine for his health care at a Marshall Medicare for All, he can he can work with them on that. And then once people get to know him, they can change their beliefs. And that always happens because that was that's the root of bigotry. People don't know people most racist where black people don't live. That that will most racism come from. Most homophobia come from people who are not familiar. Don't know that gay people are just normal, like JB. Like when people hear that JB's gay, they're like, "What? He's not a part of the gay agenda? No, they're just ordinary people." And that would literally break those chains when you actually communicate and you actually talk to people. And that is what you do by mass uh, organizing that what you actually that what you advocate for. And that is what the progressive left actually don't want because what they would tell JB is, "Oh, JB, you should never organize." With this person because he tweeted something that was anti-gay in 2012. <laughs> that what they would tell him. And that and based on their ideology, JB will never build that bridge because they want him to cancel everybody, right? That's not how it's done. That's not how you change people's minds. Exactly. And if we are going to only make progress if we work across lines. Exactly. This is the funny thing, is the very same people who say, oh, if this person spoke to those people. Again, there's a gender, uh, and the gender movement in the United States is very strong. It is very well-funded. Big Pharma comes into it as well. And you have women, housewives, mothers, people 
who don't even have incomes, volunteering their time to make posters, to organize events, to demonstrate. And what do these women get for all their thanks? They get the academic elite saying, that's a bad look. You shouldn't be doing that. Wait a sec. Since when has leftism said, hey, you women on the right, you don't deserve human rights. We're on the left, so fuck you. That's not what the left has been about historically at all, at all. And it's fascinating because I'm sure you've noticed that the gender debate has taken on many proportions, notwithstanding the fervent opposition to the voices of sanity. Uh, we have material reality, and that's sex is real. And the gender ideologists like to come in, and I call them also identitarians, and they say, no, sex is on a spectrum. Well, no, it's not. When you can show me a man who's given birth, I'm happy to admit defeat, that I'm wrong. Humans are sexually dimorphic, including intersex. Intersex is a condition that doesn't discount human sexual dimorphism. So what we have then are all these people, allegedly leftists once again, AOC herself does this, they want to see rapists in women's prisons. Yay! On what, on what grounds is this leftist, Nick? They want to see men playing on women's sports teams, taking medals and college scholarships from girls. Yay! This is insane, Nick. And they want to make the argument that lesbians are just sexually prudish and need to expand their horizons if they don't want to suck female dick. Yay! You know, like, I'm sorry, Nick, you don't know me, and here I'm saying some very vulgar things, but this is the ethos of this neoliberal movement that loves to say, I'm a Marxist. They're not. They wouldn't know Marxism if it hit them on the head. They wouldn't know historical materialist analysis if they had it fall on them. This is the most fraught moment in my lifetime, and I'm older than you, I'm going to guess, although I do identify as 16 some days, <laughs> Um, that we are living in the biggest ideological fraud brought to us by the left, by the fake left. The left, see, we can't even speak clearly about this because we have to run around with air quotes and saying that this is a faux left. And the real left, I talked to Adolf Reed recently because he's going to come on the show later this year, but what on earth is happening when you have the DSA note platforming him and calling him a racist? You know, it's it's really laugh or cry. Yeah. Um, I, want, I want to get your thoughts on this because the whole, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it seems like the whole gender debate is put out there as a distraction to me. Um, like, there's been people who identify as drag queens, as far as I along like as long as I've been alive, right? Uh, there are always people who are considered outside the normal and mainstream. And I feel like in these days where they want people to fight, I fight these one issues. And the progressive left is actually they playing their role in this as well too, because we're supposed to be talking about the material conditions that people are living under. But AOC and others more talk more more focused on talking about birthing people's right that was Cory Bush famously talking about uh to me I feel like this is mostly a distraction to pit the working class against each other because this is obviously a very divisive if issue people who are uh very supportive of the trans community and 
They pro they put pro, pronouns. This is not something. It's gonna be very hard to change their mind on this. It's gonna be very hard to change their mind on this. And obviously, people like yourselves and people have been pushed back against the gender movement or whatever. They're not gonna change their mind. So I feel like the establishment found this wedge issue to try and push on people. My general position uh, is that no matter how people choose to live their life, the government should stay out of it. Uh, that's why. I'm I'm generally confused on why this is this conversation is had in the realm of politics a lot because like when I asked the right like what what if you are right what do we do like like people like Jordan Pearson and I, I'm very interested in your thought on, on this as well he flowed the idea of banning uh, transgender surgery for adults as well and. There's a whole debate about children, and I actually get out of that because I'm not an expert. Like, what I'm gonna do? Weigh my fucking ignorant Midwestern guy opinion on that? I don't, I don't fucking know. But I do know, like, if you're advocating that, I'm not comfortable with the government telling people what they can do. You know what I mean? Uh, and if you, if if people are like, now, and that's just like that. Why I, I think this is like more of a cultural conversation because, like, what are you talking about? Like, what, what are we? Like when it comes to government power, what is supposed to be what what's supposed to happen? That's why I'm very I'm it's very weird that like me, people on the right kind of push that because I thought like we we're not supposed to be for big government, whether you agree with that lifestyle or not. Uh so I'm generally for freedom of expression. I'm generally for uh people minding their own business for the most part. Uh I may not agree with everything they say, uh, but hey, don't really bother me that much. Uh but what what's your what's your thoughts on that? Because I feel like mostly you push to divide us for the most part well look i think uh, we've got to go back to parallels and when i say parallels i mean within the same framework of medicine am i into government controlling what people do of course not but does the government have the right to control what people do of course it does i don't want children next door being put into porn film that's a control it's also an ethical and moral limit that we as a society agree upon do we have an ethical and moral duty to protect what medicine is to do? Should medicine be in the business of solidifying through medical experimentation that is proven to do nothing? We'll get to that later. But to solidify someone's desired, quote unquote, gender. Gender is a stereotype. That's all it is. If I tell you, what's the gender of man what's the gender of woman we're going to come out with a bunch of stereotypes and nothing more does that mean that you run around in a plaid button-up shirt like the brawny man and i run around with a feather duster and very short apron and i'm dusting my house i don't run around in a feather duster in scant clothing dusting my house and you probably don't run around looking like the brawny paper towel man or the man witch guy i'm thinking of 1970s and 80s commercials maybe i shouldn't but gender is just a social construct the feminists already laid that out decades ago what this movement is irrespective of if its focus is on children or adults it's about rendering that stereotype more real than reality itself. Some people might say, how can that be done? Well, it's being done. Hence, rapists in women's prisons, women losing competitions to cyclists and swimmers, losing scholarships, losing professional positions, which are effectively their livelihoods and jobs. You have men taking up women's spaces in places 
where there was a devoted aim to improve the representation of women. And I'm thinking of in the UK, where you have, in fact, this historic maneuver to allow women to get into politics where certain seats are reserved for them. Long story short, do I think that people should go to a doctor to have their penis taken off, inverted, made into a neo-vagina as they call it, but it's just a wound and it will remain a wound for their entire lives. Do I think that that's better that a 21 year old does that than what Jazz Jennings' parents did to him? I don't, I think it's all a manipulation and abuse of medicine. All the studies show that the outcomes for these procedures, be they hormonal, be they puberty blockers with or without hormones, be they the procedures that these people undergo, there is no evidence that their lives are better. In fact, we're seeing now so many detransitioners, it's only a matter of months before there are more detransitioning medical procedures, meaning that they go back to their original sex. And this is in air quotes. We're talking about air quotes all day here because sex is immutable. These are plastic surgery procedures. If you take skin from my thigh or my forearm and turn it into what is supposed to be a penis, it's not a penis. You have a penis, I'm presuming. I do not. And this whole movement is staked on the most retarded assumptions about what medicine is supposed to do. Hence, the Dr. Smith in Scotland, who over a decade ago was sawing off limbs because he had patients who said, I have body dysmorphic disorder and I need you to saw my arm off right here. So he would. Well, he was told not to do that by a high court. And these are procedures that are today effectively recognized as both useless, they serve no purpose, and they are also harmful. So why is it that doctors like him were told you can't amputate people's limbs? That's bad. But you want to lob off your child's dick? Go for it. I mean, this is insane. And I say this not just for children, though, because we know that the human brain is not fully developed until around 27 years old, give or take, depending on the study. Why are, on earth are the majority of people undergoing these procedures in their 20s? It's a no-brainer. Like my father used to say, war should be fought by people who have lived their lives. And he was making a paradoxical statement there because he knew, and we all know, that if you ask people over the age of 40 to sign up for the draft in their country, you will have no one signing up. You can get people to join. I did it. I was in a tactical class in the army one day, someone walked in the room, said, who wants to go to airborne school? I was busy with my map, but I thought that sounds like fun. I raised my arm. I was 18 years old. I raised my arm and there I went. Next summer, after I finished Fort Riley, Kansas for my officer training, I went straight over to Fort Benning, Georgia and jumped out of airplanes for a few weeks. That's called being really young and not thinking it through. Now, if you said to me today, Julian, do you want to jump out of an airplane and go to basic training? Well, as much as the memories of the torture of those three weeks were, the first week, ground week, the second week, tower week, really like crazy stuff <laughs> and funny, that was the harder part of the exercises. But that is now, to my mind today, much more pleasurable than the idea of me jumping out of an airplane with a black hat saying, Everyone on this airplane is getting off and they're getting out this door. That's the only way you're going to land on the ground. It's through this door, you know, and I had this big quarterback from West Point in front of me, really lovely blonde guy, huge. He's like 
freaking out in front of me. And he's, oh my God, they said two minutes, two minutes. And he's freaking out. And we jumped out. He had to be pushed out. Lovely guy though. And, and that's it. But when I think of the fact that I did that voluntarily, you're not going to get me post 40 me to do that. Never. And there's a reason. So when you start to talk about mutilating people's bodies, we can't use that bar of 18 years old. We just can't. It's a ridiculous number. And I would even say, I would go much further if we can tell Dr. Smith in Scotland to stop chopping off people's arms and legs. Why can't we do that around penises and vaginas? I mean, these are serious ethical questions, Nick. I have so many problems with the fact that we have embraced absolute bullshit. This is anti-science. There is no proof. And as I love to say, if you really want to feel like a woman or a man, come to my house. I have my own training camp for you where I will make you feel like a woman or a man. And those who want to feel like a woman, get in the kitchen and cook me dinner. Those who want to feel like a man, get outside and chop me wood. Why has that not been the model? And I'll tell you why it's not the model. It's capitalism. No one wants a therapeutic model. No one wants to address the skeletons within gender itself, which is based on fundamentally and vastly misogyny with a side helping of homophobia, because this entire movement is both. Yeah, I, I generally have more of a, a libertarian take on this, I guess, because I'm more of a, a live or let live kind of person. Now, the issue in terms of medical, it seems, is it uh, more cosmetic? Is it is it the judgment on the cosmetic? Because some people will make the argument, because uh, I'm not I'm not that much into cosmetic surgery. I see a lot of like, uh, not to be too judgmental, but I see a lot of older people who have a ton of cosmetic surgery. I'm like, man, shit doesn't look great. <laughs> uh, like boob jobs, all this stuff. Like I'm, I'm actually square enough, and I this is not actually a judgment at all. But I actually don't have tattoos because that's not my thing. Now that's not a judgment. All people do have tattoos at all because tattoos are dope. But that's just my personal thing. I'm not into modifying my body. I couldn't see myself ever getting plastic surgery or something like that. But that's just me. That's just me, and that's kind of how I see the gender thing. I see it as cosmetic, and I and everyone have uh, different beliefs on how they should live their life, whether they regret it or not. But I don't believe the government should be involved in that at all. And there are people, uh, especially on the right, that lean more on the child debate, uh, where they say, "Well, we gotta make sure we protect the kids." And I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be front. I don't believe them. They, this has been something that they've repeated for decades now. Uh, we gotta protect the children. Protect the children. The best thing we can do to protect the children is to solve the poverty problem. Like, if you care about protecting the children, we can solve the homelessness problem where a large amount of children are homeless. Now, I hear your concerns, and and especially as a Midwestern, once again, Midwestern guy, I not I don't want to tell you how to feel, especially as a woman on this issue. Uh, I try not to weigh in on that. On them. I'm just giving general political... Uh, I won't say you're mansplaining me, don't worry. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not... I'm, not yeah, I'm, just, I'm just trying to be careful because I, I do hear women bring up concerns about, like, and I and I think that's, like, outside my bounds to judge on when it were, like, a lot of concerns about feminism and all this stuff, and I I, I don't have the expertise nor the, the life experience to really speak on that. I'm just, speak, I'm just speaking in general political principles. Uh, general political principles and just the way I personally, like whenever someone's doing something weird, 
Like, there's people who do weird stuff all the time. I kind of just, like, I look at it and laugh, like, oh, that guy's kind of different. That's just how I am. And people who do stuff I don't understand, that's okay. As long as they're not, like, physically hurting me or anyone else. And if they make the argument that it's good for themselves, you can, and if you know someone you're friends with, the best thing you probably do is try and talk them out of it and convince them. Tell them now that you know. But in terms of government stepping in, I don't, I don't know about that because if you make the argument that mutilating genitals, all the stuff here, right wingers say that all the time, you can make the argument that someone can make the argument that you, that you mutilate yourself with plastic surgery. Yeah, there's a line to be drawn for sure. But I think what we see outside of this discourse, and I hear your thoughts about the conservatives and the way that they've always used protect the children. I'll tell you something, they're saving our asses. And when I say they're saving our asses, they are saving women's lives. This is something that the left media will not touch. Megan Kelly has gotten on board recently. It's crazy what's going on. People actually advocating that rapists be placed in women's prisons. Are they fucking insane? I mean, this just drives me nuts, Nick. I mean, I'm sorry. See, I started cursing. This is the one subject that makes me just lose my crap. Can I say something I don't, I, I don't agree with the left? Um, that they censor all conversation about this because if you was to go on some left podcast, I know uh, the left podcast would get in trouble just for having you on talking about this, you know, I'm like, and that's where I believe they really fucked up. They, they, their authoritarian tendencies kicked in. There need to be, there need to be a debate on the issue. There need to be a debate between feminists who support trans people and feminists who believe they're harmful and then that debate is not happening many people on the left they call them turfs they like never legitimize turfs but whether you guys like it or not there are many people who have that pen and there need to be dialogue i feel like that hasn't been happening i think that's a tragedy